1: Champions League day, match day three with Tuesday's of fixtures. Barcelona losing out to Inter, Liverpool with the Battle of Britain. Napoli, their 100% record remains intact, unbelievably so. And Spurs, they draw in Germany in a rather boring game. Now, Rio Coker and Jonathan Johansson join me today. So sit back, relax, grab a drink and let us entertain you because Kegel Lazzo begins right about now. Welcome along, everybody. Hey, boys. How you doing? Nigel, you look happy. You look like you've uh, had a good few predictions gone right for you.
2: Yep. Enjoyed the game today. Some great predictions. Uh, Should have listened to JJ for one of them, but I stuck with my guns. And you know how football is. You know, whether it's not goals that change games, it's a silly rush of bloods and
1: red cards that change games. JJ, put that microphone on so we can actually hear you, please, and let us know your thoughts. A good win for Marseille, by the way, today.
3: Yeah, surprisingly so. Well, Surprisingly so. After the start of the match, I should have stuck to my own predictions because I blasted them on Twitter, and then they turned it around. So I guess that probably makes me, you know, a good bet to be uh, the next coach of the next league 1 team that fires their manager. Oh, <laughs> I'll be yes. your assistant, mate. I'll be your assistant, JJ. <laughs> get it? Get over here, and I'll see. I'll get you all the cognac you need.
1: All right, no, everybody, back. make sure you leave a little comment. If you want to get in, in the conversation at any time, just please drop a comment in there. We'll get the best ones out there. Please join in the conversation. This is your show. We're doing it for you. It's a Champions League review day, and we have some absolute bangers to get stuck into. Nigel, I've got to start with you. We'll, we'll begin with Group A, and it's not Liverpool we're beginning with or Rangers, the Battle of Britain. we got to start with the unbelievable result for Napoli in Amsterdam. They were terrific today after going a goal down, thanks to Mohamed Kourouz. They then responded emphatically. They were terrific on the day. Uh, Nobody really expected them to to come in and destroy this team. There was many out there predicting they would win the game. However, I will say this. This was something pretty special. The first visiting team to score five-plus goals in a European game against Ajax Amsterdam in their stadium. I mean, unbelievable result, Nigel. I must say Napoli is my Champions League
2: crush of this campaign. And I think that for me, it was a fantastic display. Because let's not forget, this is a very good and talented Ajax side. Some tremendous talent in there. Young players coming through. As you said before, Ian, it's next man up. And they put in some fantastic performances. But what Napoli did today is a tremendous statement win. That win there sends a statement to the rest of everyone else in this Champions League free-spirited fantastic attacking football comfortable in one-on-one situations they look so good from midfield defense and attacking sense the man raspadori scored as you know and uh of course they call him the georgian maradona
1: he was on the score sheet as well fantastic display can you please just give us a quick pronunciation update (laughs) so we see if you've been putting in your training or not come on let's what was his name again (laughs) Kula, ke- Kula Kel... <laughs> oh, see, don't start with me. I've done it this morning.
2: You know what I'm talking about. The Georgian Maradona. <laughs> <laughs>
4: anyway,
2: Kuala Yes, Kualeskelia. go ahead. Kuala See, that's the one. I got it wrong. Kuala Anyway, he was fantastic as always. And for me, it's just... It really is a statement winning. And I think that that's what people need to realise. We haven't seen any other team in the Champions League play like Napoli have to beat Liverpool, as well, emphatically at home, who are the, la- the-, the the finalists of last year's competition. But to travel away from home as well to the stadium and go to Ajax and to win at that scoreline and just to be consistently at it nonstop from start to finish, going 1-0 down, let's not forget, to Mm -hmm. show that determination and courage to come back, they are, for me, my crush of this Champions League. Because every time I watch them play, it's fantastic football and it's great for any neutral to not want to watch and
3: support this Napoli side. I agree. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd, I'd echo Nigel's sentiments as well. It's funny. It's it's like Napoli are the new Ajax, you know. We've fallen back in love with Ajax over the last couple of years because of that uh you know their enterprising play and then suddenly you've got a team like Napoli who can just go to uh the Amsterdam Arena, the Johan Cruyff Arena and, and you know just blow them away. So it's really it's really refreshing to see Napoli, you know, performing like this again after, you know, I mean it feels like so long ago is what probably Five to seven years ago, when they were, you know, one of those teams that you really wanted to watch, when they had the likes of Cavani, when they had the likes of Levetsi, uh, you know, they were so so vibrant. And then again, a few years later, when they had the likes of Iguain, Insigne was in form. Uh, and now to have them back again in this iteration, it's you know, it's it's fantastic to watch, as Nigel said. But it's also great for Serie A as well, you know, to have an Italian team back on the Champions League stage, you know, blowing teams away. And it's been a strong night for Italy tonight. When you know, we'll get along to the to the Inter Milan result in a bit, but you know. Napoli, there's certainly a feel-good story for Serie A right now. And, you know, they're looking good to to better last season because we you know that they started last campaign well, fell off the tracks a bit when Aussie Men got injured. This time around, you know, they've got more about their squad uh, you know, than they did last season. And, you know, it just feels like something special is coming together under under Spalletti at the second time of asking. The last time they lost a game
1: was April 24th. They have been drawing and winning games galore. Make sure you check out Serie A. If if you are indeed in America, you can watch it on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. It has been awesome to watch this team play. But Nigel, I don't want to just hear, you know, the joys, the names. I want to tactically, I want you to let me know, like, why are they so freaking good, man? Because this team, if you watch them perform after going a goal down there, it's almost as if the joy came through. They were excited that there was a bit of a challenge in this game. And the way they pass and move the ball, sometimes counter-attacking, the way they move the ball quickly, they're frightened to watch. I mean, I guess the question at the end of the day would be, tactically, let us know what impresses you. But also, how good are they? Can they really go far in this competition? Or is this something that you would expect to dwindle out at some stage? In all honesty, and I don't really think um,
2: there's much really tactically with them. I think that when I look at that team there, they're a team that performs in the f- in the sense of there's great belief in the manager and the system. Everyone knows they have to do their job first and then if they can help everyone else. But everyone's happy to take that responsibility in this Napoli team. There's times when they push forward and they're comfortable to be in one-on-one situations in the back. I've seen them cover and defend press pe- press, op- op- uh, press opposing players one-on-one comfortably and not try and do the 2v1 or 3v1 like we see other teams trying to win the ball back quickly in little pockets or groups. They're more comfortable in one-on-one situations and when they win the ball, it's always that forward momentum. It's that forward pass, forward play. When you've got three players who are willing to run in behind but to also come to feet and not just always want it to feet and play pretty football but willing to run in behind without the ball and players who can carry the ball like Kualaskele, that just makes the big difference. I think for me, you look at Kualaskele, how he plays. Yes, they're giving him the Georgia Maradona, but doesn't he remind you a bit of Andre Konchelskis, the Steve McManaman, the, the Marco Overmars, those players who can dribble and carry the ball with great skill. It's not just using pace and knocking it and running and chasing the ball. It's an actual skill and talent to be able to dribble with the ball in and out of players, turning defenders inside out, changing direction of the ball that's a skill and I think that's what it is that impresses me this they're so comfortable all over the pitch and are willing to play attacking expansive football
3: yeah but I think as good as Napoli were as well it was a very very off night for Ajax and they're they're starting to enter this strange phase now because we've looked at you know the makeup of their team before they have more experienced players than you'd usually associate with Ajax and suddenly some of those players are letting them down you've got like Tadic who you know with all due respect after a couple of great seasons is starting to look you know sort of closer to his age now you know got dismissed in this game as well you know and then there's some players who you know you'd sort of question whether you know they really you know should still be sort of established as starters for Ajax as well when you look at the sort of their age and you know their ability it's you know I'm not that convinced by by, by Bergries, uh, you've got Daley Blint as well, you know, guys who, you know, given Ajax's ability to, to attract talent on the transfer window, could perhaps bring in some, you know, younger, vibrant players. Also, I think, you know, this was a real uh lesson to, to the defenders, Timber and Bassi. Uh, you know, two players are rate extremely highly, bit of an off-night. Um, you know, but Ajax now really sort of facing uh an you know an uphill challenge uh in this group. Uh, it's, you know, it's going to be tough. It was always going to be tough for the the, the teams that drop points. But now to sort of be three behind Liverpool, six behind Napoli after, you know, quite a difficult performance, perhaps we'll be looking at them, uh, you know, dropping out of the, the the Champions League and going into the Europa League instead, because it just doesn't quite feel like the, the sort of squash, the swashbuckling uh, Ajax of old.
2: Yeah. JJ, I have to disagree with you, my friend. Normally we agree quite a bit, but you can't say it's an off night for Ajax. I'm not going to have that because past weekend's game, domestically, they rested quite a few players with this game in mind. So they rested their players. They got the draw, I believe, in the weekend, uh, Ian, right? They drew yeah, in the weekend one. domestically. Go ahead, Eagles, one, one. Their <laughs> top players, You play against Napoli, and they got absolutely embarrassed. Like, Napoli were the better team from start to finish. So I don't think I could agree to say it's an off night for Ajax. They just got completely dominated by a Napoli team that's a lot more hungry showed a lot more desire and probably a lot more now a lot more know-how on getting the job done and I just feel for me we've got to give credit to Napoli to say it's a statement win
1: yeah, I think, but I like, I like JJ's point though on the fact that at some point you got to move on from some of the old guard that the IX have. And one of the reasons maybe, JJ, why they have the older players still in the starting 11 or around the starting 11 is because they've sold so many players in, in the recent years, especially this year. was over 200 million euros of players going out the door. No, Anthony was 100 million, but there was over 200 million again coming in and then they pushed the next youngsters through. So at some point you kind of need to have that experience but this goes to show it, that the golfing class, but also the in confidence when it comes to a Napoli side who are playing as well as they are. BB28 just said he thinks that the Napoli side could make it to the quarterfinals, but that's as far as they can go. JJ, where do you think this Napoli side can go? Do you think they can go past the quarterfinals?
3: I mean, a lot depends on the draw. You'd have to fancy them to get out of the group stage now, given the makeup of the group and the fact that they got maximum points after three rounds. But also at the same time, uh, you know, they could... They could get quite a good uh, favourable draw, you know, and make a deep run. I mean, I wouldn't want to rule them out just yet of going, you know, as far as say a quarter final. But there's so much that will change, not just in European football, but in domestic football, and then of course internationally with the World Cup as well. We don't know what shape any of these clubs are going to be in, uh, you know, by the time the the Champions League resumes after the group stage. So, I'd like to think that they can definitely make a deep run. I am very, very confident that we'll be seeing them in the knockout phase now. Uh, You know, it's was certain but you know i don't want to sort of you know put a uh a minimum target or maximum aim, uh, you know, for, for Napoli to reach, you know, because it does feel like, you know, they have yeah. quite, uh, you know, a high ceiling with, uh, with this team. Let's not forget. It's still a team, you know, where the sum of its parts are still sort of figuring out how to play alongside each other. And, you know, with that potential there already and getting some of the best out of some guys who have been in sort of iffy form now for the last couple of years, Zambor and Greece, are, you know, looks a different player this oh, season. Phenomenal. Fabulous. Uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, this Napoli side could surprise quite a few people. But one thing's for sure, nobody in coming into the knockout phase wants to come up against them. Yeah, let me just run through a few of the statistics
1: there. Thanks for the comment, William. You believe that this is a fun team to watch. Absolutely, Napoli are a fun team. And to back Nigel up, the statistics don't lie at all. Ajax Amsterdam at home in a Champions League game, two shots on target. They got one goal. And by the way, that one, I don't think Mohamed Kudus knew much about it. Napoli <laughs> on the road. 13 shots on target from 26 shots overall and got themselves six goals to their name. So that backs you up, Nigel. We have to tip our cap to a fabulous performance from Napoli. They deserve our credit, and maybe I will stop predicting against them after this result. Let's move over Don't to the battle. You went to,
2: oh, wait, wait. Sorry, you went against went, them for today.
1: I had to, to go against them. Yeah, I got to try and catch up to you, Nigel. You know, so you went to against. Just and-
2: you just lost the point there because I went for them
1: again. Just so you congratulations yeah. to you. Let's move on to the Battle of Britain, the other game in Group A. Because Napoli now 100 now they're sitting at nine points at the top of the table. It was really Rangers' last big chance, but a difficult ask for them against the Liverpool side who struggled at the weekend against Brighton. Uh, JJ, I mean, this is an interesting result. Obviously, Liverpool would have loved to have scored more goals against Rangers. I think McGregor had a great performance in goal for Rangers. It would have been more otherwise for him. But a convincing victory in the end and an important three points for Jurgen Klopp's men.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think they really needed that, uh, you know, given the way things have been going recently, good for for Trent Alexander-Arnold as well to get himself on the score sheet in spectacular fashion. Uh, and Mo Salah as well. You know, uh, I know that um, Mike was calling him out just the other day. Uh, you know, and I think it's, you know, it... <laughs> It feels a bit too early to to sort of write Liverpool off and dismiss them. But then again, you know, we debated on Monday, you know, the, the fact that this is history repeating itself for, for Jurgen Klopp. And I think, you know, when you've got those winnable games in front of you, which with all due respect to Rangers, that was for Liverpool, uh, you know, you really need to to take the opportunities to relieve some of the pressure. And they've done that, uh, you know, and they've got themselves in a position now where they can still look at this group and think okay you know we can get out and finish in the top two because let's not forget it went to the last round of games the last time that Liverpool were in the same group as Napoli they were in it with PSG as well and it was the Italians who ultimately dropped out and dropped into the Europa League Uh, you know and I think Liverpool you know avoiding these kind of banana skin games, especially while Napoli are, you know, on this kind of tear, that really, you know, should settle a few nerves, certainly as far as the the continental competition is concerned. But I still think that there's a long way to go, uh, you know, for us to really say that Liverpool are back and, you know, are coming up to cl- something close to their best.
2: I don't really need to add much to the game there. You know, JJ always covers everything, doesn't give me much to say. So I'm going to take this in a different direction. <laughs> JJ. You're an intelligent sports writer. You know a lot more about football. Am I, than Ian Am I? Does. that's that is you know a lot more players. about football than Ian does. <laughs> How do you think right now Nunes is feeling when you think about Nunez coming in, and obviously you're seeing the impact that Haaland is having for Manchester City? I mean, I saw one of the chances he had today. Do you think that there's a there's a burden on him in the sense of he's seeing what Haaland is doing? Everyone's talking about Haaland. and obviously Nunez is coming as a big, big signing for Liverpool, and he's still just hasn't really found his feet or not showing really tremendous glimpses of great hope. How do you think he's feeling? What's your thoughts on him so far?
3: No, it's a a really good question. I mean, I do think that there is probably an element of pressure that he's putting upon himself, certainly after that uh, suspension that he picked up in the Premier League. Uh, And I think... I mean Jurgen Klopp saying the right things having looked at his press uh, pre-match press conference uh, you know quotes trying to make it more of sort of a, a team issue as opposed to an individual issue but also at the same time I think these kind of teething issues were inevitable when you bear in mind that you know you, you've got Nunez coming in Sadio Mane's come out that's two completely different players. That changes, you know, the complexion of the attack entirely. Uh, you know, and we're seeing the same thing with Mane trying to bed in at Bayern Munich as well. Uh, you know, the only one who's landed on their feet, sort of in that, you know, kind of not not a triangle, but like that line of, of players is uh, Lewandowski. who obviously made space for Mane at Bayern by going to Barcelona. Wow. Uh, you know, hold, hold
2: off on his name. We're going to get to him later, Jonathan.
3: Carry <laughs> on. Hold off on his name. No, but. But with, uh, with with Nunez, I mean, I do ultimately think that he will come good, but there was always going to be an element of pressure when you arrive for that kind of price tag, at that kind of club, uh, you know, replacing somebody who has been, you know, pretty much indispensable to Jurgen Klopp in, uh, in Sadio Mane. So no, it doesn't surprise me too much that he's sort of going through this, uh, you know, the, these struggles right now. But I do think that ultimately he will, uh, you know, find his feet. But I mean... It's really difficult to, for anybody uh, you know, to live with Haaland at this moment in time. It's crazy. I saw that quote, uh, or what was it? I think it was Leport wrote on the ball that he's uh, signed m- more of Erling Haaland's match balls than he has done contracts in his career.
1: Listen, I tell you, when you compare him to Haaland, you simply can't. You can't compare anyone to Erling Haaland, and nobody predicted the start he was going to have in the Premier League, even if we did predict he would do well there nobody can predict the goals that he has scored. You can't compare them. They're they're different players, different animals, different statures. I mean, they're just completely different. The price tag was incredibly high for Darwin Nunes. We all know he's recognized. He's a good player. And he he did Nigel before the stupid red card that he picked up. He got off to a good start. He scored a couple of goals pretty quickly for Liverpool. So I think the red card sort of set him back and he had to kind of contain himself just a little bit, then start to rebuild. But the only goal he scored since that red card, if I'm not mistaken, was for the national team. He scored one goal in a friendly. So he hasn't been scoring goals. And that's where his confidence is going to have to come. But he's not the only player who was lacking confidence coming into this game. It was also Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, he, big time goal here, Nigel. Another free kick from him, if I'm not mistaken. That is his sixth goal ever for Liverpool f- directly from a free kick. His first Champions League goal since 2017. But a massive goal and maybe a bit of an FU to the media for all the noise about him. A big F you. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what people like you or JJ say
2: about Trent. Trent's the man. Trent's one of the best fullbacks we've produced in this country. Is is he on on the plane, Nigel? He's on the plane for me. (laughs) If I was a manager, he's on the plane for me because he brings that expressiveness, going out, attacking football. Yes, obviously, you'd have to work out on a different kind of cover in the sense of being capable to cover for him when he does get caught out. But what he brings in the attacking sense, which is why Jurgen Klopp loves him, there is no one better. And that ability alone shows you why he's so highly rated. And I think, I mean, probably JJ can add more to this than than I can, but I get a sense generally when other medias, other media markets around the world, other footballing um, press, when they comment on England, it's always about England basically being in a straitjacket, so restricted, so rigid. Mm -hmm not free-flowing, not letting players like Trent or even Jack Grealish get an opportunity to play and go out and express themselves. We marvel at other nations like the Brazilians and the Spanish who have those players who go out there and they're given the freedom to go out and play and express themselves. England has some of those talented players, but Nigel. we never give them that freedom to express
1: themselves. We want to restrict- Who's the ones though, Nigel? Do. Nigel, listen, this is your show. Who's the one that you are maybe upset with the media members that you don't like? I mean, you know, I'm listening to- oh, no, uh, the, 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 I think the English the English press plays a part. The English press plays a big, yeah, big yeah, part. Yeah, but which in, ones? In are you talking about ex-professionals? Are you talking about guys on the radio, it, the it, media, the newspapers? What you it's probably, about?
2: I'll probably say it's a lot more journalists and sports writers than it is probably ex-professionals because obviously the times have changed now. And I think it's also not, catching up with how the modern game has changed. And what happens with the English media, I feel, is there's this arrogance where we believe that the Premier League is it, that's it. Don't get me wrong, the Premier League is one of the top leagues in the world, but there's other talented football players all around the world and it's respecting other nations, their style of play and how they want to play the game. And for me, we have the talent, but we restrict our talent so much. And I think for the Trent thing, it was a fantastic goal. It was a big you to the
3: media and I'm very happy for the young man. I think as well, you know, there's an aspect of Alexander-Arnold being made like a scapegoat for Liverpool's struggles when, you know, again, you know, Klopp was saying when he was asked about Nunez, how it's a team issue, not an individual issue. And again, with Trent Alexander-Arnold, he was the same. It's more about, you know, how the team functions. Went into, you know, quite impressive detail about that. And I do think... You know, that, that, that is, you know, quite a good show of responsibility from the German because he's, you know, he, he recognizes that there are parts of that team that have been failing until recently. And that's left guys like uh, Alexander-Arnold exposed and left Nunez kind of carrying the can as the guy who needs to score the goals to make them let, look, you know, less bad. And uh, it's... I, I think for Alexander Arnold, he really does pay the price at times for sort of the collapse of the Liverpool midfield uh, so far this season. I think when they do get back to full strength and, you know, with a midfield that can function properly all of the time, uh, you know, I do think that he will be able to express himself better in his game. But, you know, what a way to to sort of silence some of your critics. It was a fantastic yeah. goal. Uh, you know, and I don't think that anyone can really truly doubt what Alexander Arnold brings to the team when he's able to, you know, to, to contribute in to an attack. And I think, he plays in a position as well which is now becoming a key part of the modern game you look at how many of these uh you know teams have now started to set themselves up with three central defenders to you know almost kind of like wing backs who can push forward and play you know as wingers as well as you know kind of fullbacks so you know i think yeah. alexander arnold does fill that modern uh you know role extremely well is one of the architects of it and you know ultimately i do think that you know some of the the, the critics do probably have to get off his back and recognise that any sort of issues within his game this season attribute quite a lot towards the, the struggles that Liverpool are suffering as a whole. For me, he goes on the plane
1: just because of the fact of his ability on set plays and his crosses into the box. On set plays, the direct direct free kicks, obviously I'd love to see more from him, direct free kicks, but the free kicks into the box, how dangerous uh, England can be on set plays, I think you have to take him for his ability. And and I still will say this, he's the best right back in the world for me, as far as I'm concerned. And people can criticise his defensive jobs, but a right back is not a defender anymore. A right back is what you do going forward. It's a different game from what it was even when we played. It's It's such a different game. It's completely different and I'm happy for him. You want to just jump in quickly, Nigel, say something before we move on? No, just a quick, it's funny, just just to finish off what I was saying in the sense of we're talking about
2: the media and everything like that, completely different subject, but I watched the Leicester versus Nottingham Forest game yesterday. I think Madison had a decent game. Then there's already reports in the press, oh, Madison should be on the plane. You know, he's pushing to make the plane. I'm like, have you seen his form for Leicester throughout this season? He has one half a decent game and the English press are trying to push him onto the plane. But
1: that's what the English press Not according to him, though. Not according to him. If you go back and watch his interview yesterday, post-game, he was with Neville and Carragher talking about it after the game. And he says he's played the best football he's been playing for the last 18 months. And he's playing it right now, even though the results are not going his way. OK, well,
2: I'm, I'm glad. I am I'm don't know what world he's living in, but I, I just haven't really seen anything that's shining greatly for me to be like, oh, yeah, Madison's been on fantastic form. He's doing OK, but I'm not thinking on that level to say he deserves to be on the plane. So, no, yeah. But um, you're 100% right. right. For me, Trent's one of the best in the world. We talk about football players. How often do you remember Cafu or Roberto Carlos defending or do you remember the goals that they were scoring and the assists they were providing?
1: Yeah, excellent work right there. And that's exactly why you're on the show, Nigel. Group A, Napoli leading the way right now with nine points, 100% record remains. Liverpool sitting on the six points. Ajax Amsterdam with the three Rangers, zero goals scored in the group so far. They have conceded nine goals and sitting on zero points as well. So producer Dez has asked me to move over to Group D very quickly before we get out of here because Marseille, the early kickoff. JJ, this was absolutely wild. I mean, Group D is uh, really shaping up to be one of the most interesting and excellent groups to watch between now and how this ends sporting Lisbon arrive late at the stadium Uh, they score a goal in 51 seconds to take the lead and then the goalkeeper decided to have a Nigel Rio Coker nightmare and eventually Marseille run out and score Uh, I'll have to admit some great goals to win this game comfortably
4: Yeah,
3: there there were some fantastic goals. Obviously, as somebody who wants the best for the French game at all times, I'm delighted with the Marseille result. I might have been a bit too hasty in my tweeting saying it was a bit pathetic the way that Marseille started, but I'm glad that they managed to turn it around and they can thank me later for the indirect team talk. But also at the same time, I've got all these Marseille fans in my ear. They're still bottom of the group after that win albeit a very impressive win, you know, against a good sporting side, top of that group so far. The surprise for me was that Spurs didn't manage to, to get the win uh, at Frankfurt. Uh, you know, I do think that that result now really keeps this this group looking interesting. I mean, as far as OM's chances are of, of getting out of the group, they still need, I feel, to, to pick up a surprise result on the road, possibly against sporting. We'll see, uh, you know, if they're, they're in the same sort of disarray uh, next week. But I do agree, I do feel like that, Delayed kickoff and then you know the goalkeeping there you go—the goalkeeping nightmare. Uh, you know, really did uh, contribute towards helping uh, you know Marseille get the Stade Vélodrome not rocking, but uh, you know, sort of back on their back on their side. So it's—I uh, mean, it, it feels it feels too early to say. I'm not going to throw it out there just because I criticised them earlier that they're going to get out of the group, but I think Marseille managing to, to get it salvage the Europa League, uh, you know, through this result would already be a step in the right direction. I love the way he said, we need Ian. Did you see that? We
2: need. um, I I think for me, it's it's, it's the the goalkeeping error, the goalkeeping calamity completely changed this game, Jonathan. And uh, it's just sad because I feel it could have been a real good footballing occasion. I feel Sporting a real still, a bit of a wild card, but it was a big win for them. And then, like you said, pretty much that Spurs failing to win with the chances that they had has really opened up this game now. And I think it's going to be very interesting and it's going to be good for the neutral to see who really still makes it out. You do still feel that Marseille probably won't because I feel like the other teams around them have too much, and I'm looking more so at, at Spurs and, and Sporting being able to get the results.
3: Yeah, absolutely, but also at the yeah, same time, stuff I think as always. a lot I'm a few now...
1: Technical difficulties, by yeah. the way, just to let you both know. I hope you can hear me okay, but the technical are putting
3: me in and out here, so I apologise for that one there, but go ahead, JJ, before we finish. You need... You need to get the Best Buy guys over again, Ian. Service <laughs> so, so isn't good enough. <laughs> yeah, no, no I was just going to say. I think I was just going to say perhaps one of the most influential games next will be that Spurs game against Frankfurt at home because you'd fancy Spurs at home, but given uh, you know their performances so far in the group stage one win, one draw, one loss, you know it's not a given that they go and win that game, and you know if Marseille can get a draw at Sporting, then that. You know, leaves things you know poised quite nicely for for the remaining few games because it feels like for Marseille that key match for them will be away at Frankfurt, which is not the next one, but it's the one after because then they finish at home against Spurs. And based on what we've seen from Spurs so far in the group stage, I know that they beat Marseille at home. But you know, I think Marseille you know could get the better of them uh, in that game if you know it's riding on it that they potentially get through uh, you know to the knockout phase. But there's a long way to go before they're even in a situation like that. So, John,
2: what do you think about, um, obviously, that Spurs and Frankfurt game? Then, Obviously, that's going to be a big game. But I feel that there's going to be... I feel that that home crowd is going to play a big difference for Spurs. Spurs being at home is a different team. And with the fans knowing what's at stake, and obviously, he's going to have some some players back again. for. And then Conte's going to know what's at stake there. And they always seem to kind of really respond very well when their backs are against the wall. Spurs always come out all guns blazing, ready for that knockout. And I feel that that's kind of the situation that Conte will be looking to do.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But, you know, I think as well, when Conte gets that kind of fire in his belly, that's, uh, you know, that that's when Spurs are at their best, you know, when he's animated, he needs to be giving all of himself, uh, you know, in the same way that he expects, you know, all of his players to, to give him, the, you know, 100%. And it's, uh, I, you know, I think it is, I mean, I'm not going to say that Spurs are running the risk of dropping out just yet, but they need to be careful that they don't get caught out because if they were to suddenly drop more points against Frankfurt, uh, you know, and I don't know, say Marseille do manage to get the results against Sporting, suddenly that group is wide open with just two games left to play. So, uh, you know, I, I do think that Spurs will probably make it through based on, uh, you know, the, the, the next couple of games that they've got. But, you know, they they really could do with picking up that win at home. Uh, you know, and I think that will, will settle, uh, you know, Conte's, uh, Conte's nerves because I don't imagine he'll be too satisfied, especially after, you know, the frustrating nature of this draw. Can you guys hear me okay? Because the technical difficulties seem to be over now.
1: <sighs> Hallelujah. Well,
2: I'll, I'll lay a complaint to whoever came in last time, mate. Didn't do a good <laughs>
1: job. Listen, great job as always picking it up. Obviously, it's been uh, pretty interesting watching Group D, but Sporting Lisbon, obviously still with the the fortunate that they had a great start to this group, sitting at the top of the group with six points, Spurs and Frankfurt on four points and Marseille trying to play catch up right now with the three points. It is going to be mouthwatering watching these next games on match day four. So make sure you keep an eye out. On all the games, on all the action, on Paramount+. Plus. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll take a look at the rest of Tuesday's Champions League games, and we'll have a look at some breaking news for all of
4: you football fans in the USA. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com CBS Sports. That's T A I L O R B R A N D slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands.
0: eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love,
1: Welcome back in, everybody. You're watching Kiko Lato. It's Ian Joy alongside Jonathan Johnson and Nigel Rio-Coker. Let's touch upon Group C, the Champions League. Matchday three kicked off with an absolute classic. Bayern Munich with a convincing victory. So no, we're not going to talk about that game too much. We're going to focus on the other game, which was a surprising result. Nigel Rio-Coker into Milan, winning by a goal to nil against Barcelona.
2: What a surprising result. that messed up my, uh, my picks for this week. Really messed up my picks. And I'm sure that pretty much everyone there went with a Barcelona win. I don't think anyone felt that Inter could get this win. But, you know, they got the job done. I think for me, Barcelona for me today were... I don't even know how to describe them. They played some fantastic football. Pretty on the eyes. But no bite. No nothing. And it was all Dembele. Everything was Dembele, Dembele. They were trying to make him create everything. And he was trying his best to make something happen... They couldn't get Lewandowski in the game at all. Inter defended well. Typical, traditional Inter. Kind of reminded me a bit of the Inter under Conte. Played on the counter-attack as much as they can. And there were times when Barcelona were vulnerable. And for me, you'd have to say, that's a big, big loss for Barcelona. Really and truly. And what we can also do is we can question when Barcelona have played teams in that 1% bracket, the Bayern Munichs, the Inter Milan's, they've struggled. They haven't got the wins. They've really struggled against teams that you'd say are their namesake. And they haven't been able to overcome these situations. And no surprise, I'm sure Jonathan's not going to be happy about this, no surprise that Messi's allegedly leaving on a free in the summer to go back to Barcelona because they need someone like a Lionel Messi. Because for me, again, at that level of football, we're so used to seeing the pretty football that everyone passes and has passages of play. But Barcelona really lacking creativity in that final third and become very one-dimensional, any good organized team at the top of their game will be able to beat this Barcelona side, in my opinion. Big point.
3: I mean, I think the thing as well that people forget about this Barca side is it's still a work in progress. Yes, they've added some very impressive pieces and yes, they're capable of playing some great stuff at times, as Nigel said. But in terms of sort of the cohesion, the chemistry, you know, the understanding each other's way of playing and, you know, buying into, uh, you know, Xavi's vision for the future, that's going to take time. And I think that's why, uh, you know, as Nigel rightly said, you know, they are going to struggle when they come up against the best organized teams and, you know, the the teams that can sort of look equal to them, uh, you know, on paper and have had a bit longer, uh, you know, playing with the same group of players uh, under the same coach. You know, I don't have any doubts that, you know, Barcelona will start to get it, you know, put it back together given the the quality of the players that they can put out on the pitch. But it is going to take time. I and mean, I think the messy rumours... They're, they were inevitable to, to flare up and, you know, I think we'll see them and hear a lot about them, you know, quite often between now and the end of the year, especially with the World Cup coming up a messy and fantastic form, uh, you know, but also at the same time, I think part of what this process is for Barca right now is moving away from that decorated history, not you know, trying to embrace it, you know, trying to, to relive it, getting nostalgic one last time. You know, I still think that it is for the best if Barson move on from the likes of the Busquets, uh, you know, the PKs, the Jordi Albers, uh, you know, and perhaps, uh, and it's not, you know, me being selfish. I don't think for one minute, you know, that Messi will finish his career in Paris. It's It's been great having him back to something close to his best this season. It was pretty difficult watching last season for a number of reasons, not just Messi, uh, you know, but I think, bringing Messi back, uh, you know, will not be a sort of, you know, anything but a short-term boost to this Barca side. In terms of making progress over the medium and long term, they have to persevere with the with this group of players. Work out, you know, the, the, the sort of fine-tuning, uh, you know, that's necessary to make them a real uh, competitor moving forward.
2: Quickly, JJ, just before Ian jumps in. So, obviously, we just discussed about, you just said Barcelona moving on, and I agree with you. But do you not think, bringing Messi back will be the wrong thing to do again. Whether it's being used for shirt sales or whatever it is, I've just witnessed the same thing happen at Manchester United, bringing back a club legend in Cristiano Ronaldo, and that has not gone well. It hasn't gone as how the club wanted or how the fans wanted. Isn't there a big chance, again, it can happen the same way with Barcelona? Because when you bring someone like Lionel Messi back to that club, with the young players you're trying to bring as the next generation, next people to come through, if Lionel Messi makes a mistake on the pitch, what player in their right mind could say anything to him? Is that not going to make the players play within themselves and kind of disrupt the atmosphere and the camaraderie? You might, yeah. But have? wouldn't
1: wouldn't it happen already, Nigel? When you've got Busquets and and Alaba and all these other guys sitting on the it bench, it wouldn't happen and already.
2: Because you don't have Lionel Messi. There's a difference when you say Lionel Messi's names, and that's no disrespect to Busquets and Alaba and all them or yesterday or God, but this is Lionel Messi. It's a different level. When imagine if Dembele makes a mistake, and then wants to say, so oh, Lionel Messi makes a mistake and Dembele is the creator, the attacking player. What could he say to Lionel Messi? What could you he know, say to Messi, That's what I'm saying. So it, it, it's a risk. It's a big gamble. I understand what JJ is saying, but for me personally, I thought that's a gamble that can completely backfire.
3: Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree with that. And it just sounds like Ian agrees as well. It's, uh, you know, I think Messi in that situation would do well to look at Cristiano Ronaldo's attempted return to Manchester United, look at what it would mean for him, uh, you know, from a personal point of view, as well as a collective point of view, because I'm sure that the, you know, the attachment to Barca remains strong, uh, you know, and the sort of desire to go back and have a proper farewell would be there. But also at the same time, you know, there's, I I think it sounds like there's still a lot of stuff that that Messi wants to tick off on his box before finishing his career, going back to playing in Argentina. There's been strong links with Major League Soccer as well. He has a lot of Available to him, and if I was him, I'd probably wait and see what what goes on at the World Cup before thinking about anything, and that includes whether he stays at PSG or goes somewhere else to try something new before his legs give up on him.
1: Yeah, I think we must not forget that Messi didn't want to leave Barcelona; he wanted to stay at Barcelona. He was pushed out the door from that football club, so you know his heart and his soul, I'm sure, is still at that football club. But I agree with both of you there. difficult to go back it's always difficult to go back because it's a different project now completely different there's been players who since messi has left the club have been at barcelona and since gone it's crazy to think what's happened at that football club since he has departed there and now he's actually performing well he seems very very happy coming out to the media last week saying this is the happiest he's been for a very long time and a world cup coming up tells me that Lionel messi with his contract running out jj Lionel Messi is going to be well and truly up for this because whatever it is that he wants to do, I can only imagine it won't work out too well for other teams at the World Cup. It won't work out well for many teams who are trying to sign him because I'm sure he will do exactly what he wants to do. If it's a Barcelona return, he's going to go there. But I wouldn't rule out him staying in Paris either because he looks like he's enjoying his football and they got money to spend at the end of the day. I'll, I I'll rule
2: that out in a heartbeat. He's definitely not staying in Paris. This is his last swan song. Sorry, JJ. JJ. He's had enough wine already. He can get wine from Argentina. He ain't staying in Paris. we moving up. I I agree with you, Ian. I think more than likely, like you said, I think the Barcelona one is the stronger desire. He did not want to leave Barcelona. If he can do what he does at Paris Saint-Germain, if by some way that they win the Champions League, he would have to say it's objective done. And I don't think Paris Saint-Germain fans will be um, offended or upset if he leaves to go back to Barcelona. It's the club that he's known the most from how long? From when he was 10 years old or 11 years old when he first went there and he would want a proper send-off.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, as you, as long as you come over to Paris to fill the void left by Messi, Nigel, I'm all right with that. <laughs>
1: yeah, just so you can go and drink all the wine, Nigel, over there that he's not drinking when he departs. Uh, let's touch upon Inter before we move on from this game because we obviously talk a lot about Barcelona and uh, the way they've actually got themselves back to the top of the tree in the Liga. They're sitting pretty right now, leaving Dossi scoring goals. And I will say this, Nigel, Barcelona had 50 crosses in the game today. 50 crosses and couldn't put one in the back of the net. But Inter Milan, credit to them. Nobody put money on them to win this game except for Inter Milan fans. We all kind of criticized them in many ways. Their defense, um, frustrating, obviously, offensively. Lukaku not there, what's going on chemistry-wise. But Chalinoglu comes up with a banger from distance, his first Champions League goal since 2016, and they win that game. So can we at least, JJ, say Inter Milan have still got a lot to offer? They're six points right now in the group.
3: Yeah, I mean, they show that they're still fighting for Inzaghi. And I think that's a big statement, considering that there were rumors that, you know, if, if Inter do lose, then Inzaghi gets the chop. I think it would have been harsh to have judged him on the a bad result against Barca, given the, the individual quality Barca have. But also at the same time, you know, this was a really, really impressive showing, uh, you know, from Inter. Like Nigel said, you know, it's kind of a throwback to the, the, the Conte era performances, uh, you know, and I think it does still suggest that Inter have got, you know, a bit left in the tank that they can give. Uh, you know, perhaps we see Inzaghi, you know, hang on to his job by the skin of his teeth a little bit, similar to Lopeteghi, uh in recent weeks. And, uh, you know, perhaps see it out at least until the World Cup and then see where Inter are there. But if they can you know, sort of replicate that kind of performance domestically, you know, they could, uh, you know, find themselves in a better position in Serie A, uh, you know, come the come the break for the World Cup. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, just in isolation, this is just one good performance and one good result. They need to start stringing this together. Or otherwise, it doesn't really count for anything. Anything, yeah, I think,
2: just to add to what Jonathan said, he's right. I think for me, when I saw that performance there, that was a performance for the manager. They were all fighting for the cause. They knew what at stake. But... The other way you can look at it as well is sometimes as football players, they raise the occasion because it's Barcelona. But like Jonathan said, they need to show that same desire domestically week in, week out, that same fight and that same spirit week in, week out. If Nzagi is going to be safe for the long term, it's all okay to raise it for the big boys, but you need to raise it for the teams that you're so-called better than or the lesser teams and you don't lose. That same desire and and application needs to be shown. It's a big win for them. Um, Again, you could say... um, whether Inter really did play that good or Barcelona were just that abysmal in the attacking sense. With all the possession they had, all the nice, beautiful, tiki-taki, they had no bite. You know, they were soft. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it's it's what happens next for Inter.
1: I'll be interested in the next couple of games domestically to see how they perform. By the way, if you look at the group right now, it doesn't look good for Barcelona, even though they do have Inter at the new Camp in the next game it's uh, three points right now that they're sitting on. So it's starting to get a little bit risky for Barcelona when it comes to chasing that spot in the knockout stages. Uh, Let's touch upon real quickly Bayern Munich. Uh, We got to rattle through some results before we get out of here. Bayern Munich with a convincing victory. Leroy Zani with a couple of goals. Serge Gnabry on the score sheet. Uh, Sadio Mane on the score sheet as well. His 25th Champions League goal, only the fourth African player to reach the 25 goal mark. Uh, What a tremendous achievement, JJ, for Sadio Mane. And one of your... uh, Former players that you used to cover at PSG, Eric Maxim Choupo-Moting on the score sheet. The 33-year-old scoring his first Bayern goal since February. convincing victory all around for Bayern Munich.
3: Exactly. PSG and Stoke City legend Eric uh, maxim Choupo-Moting. He's uh, and no, Hamburg fa- and Hamburg. <laughs> An Hamburg. Yes, he's a no. He's a, he's, he's a fantastic guy. Might not be the best player, but gives his all for the cause. So I'm very happy to see him back uh, back amongst the goals. But uh, you know, Bayern as well. You know. Again, okay, it's a lot easier coming up against the Victoria Plachin side. There's been a lot of speculation about, uh, you know, Nagelsmann's future. Uh, You know, that kind of performance, you know, puts a little bit of that speculation to bed, I guess. Uh, You know, obviously, for Bayern, it's a bit less challenging um, in the Bundesliga for them week in, week out than it is for Inter in a very competitive Serie A. But also at the same time, you know, uh, you know the, the the top German teams have been giving Bayern a run for their money in recent weeks. So, you know, Nagelsmann, uh, you know, I'm sure will will still want to to cool down the temperature of his seat a little bit. But you know, those kind of results, the safe results, uh, you know, as long as they can keep, uh, you know. Bringing those in, uh, you know, I think that he'll stave off those rumors about Thomas Tuchel taking over him from him for the moment.
1: Nigel, anything from Bayern perspective? I don't
3: say I don't
2: want to say your safe word, mate. So, no, nothing <laughs> about me. I'm, I'm going I'm to keep that safe word in there. We don't talk about Bruno. I'm not talking about Bayern, like I said. <laughs>
1: All right, let's rattle through Group B. Uh, Brugge, or Bruges, as many people like to say it or pronounce it. They had another unbelievable result. We'll keep this quickly with these two games in the group, but there were two big wins, one from Bruges over Atletico Madrid. Um, Ferran Jukla on the score sheet again to make it 2-0 after Soa scored the opening goal. Fantastic to see Brugge having this success. I think it's the first time in their history, and I think it's actually the first time a Belgian club has actually started a Champions League group with uh, three wins. And that is something to tell us as to where Atletico Madrid are at right now because they're bottom of the table on three points. Nigel, great victory for Brugia here.
2: Great victory. And I know you're someone that's a big fan of them and uh, you spread your knowledge about how well they've been doing. I think they've been in the Champions League now consistently for about the past five years, which is great. And they're building onto that. They're building momentum and they've got a great foundation and it was a great win. They really made it difficult for Atletico. Atletico, again, had most of the possession in the game Flatter to deceive. But what I liked about Bruges is they grew into the game as the game went on. And uh, the Griezmann missed a, a penalty, came off the, the top of the crossbar, which could have really changed the game. But the thing I just want to add is, is it time for Simone to leave now? And I'm a big fan of Simone at Atletico. But for me personally, I feel he's taken that club as far as he can. And I don't know what you guys think, but I believe in football, there's periods and moments of when you get certain players at the height of his success at Atletico, those caliber of players, those players with those personalities, those mentalities, they're gone. It's done. So whether now he needs to move for another challenge or another area, or another club, I feel that's what he needs to do. I don't think he can carry this Atletico side any further than he has. It's It's done now, start a new challenge. I would love to see him in the Premier League, in my honest opinion. But I just feel for me, is it the time now that Atletico make that
3: change and go to a different direction? Well, you can come to Villa Park and take over from Stephen Gerrard. I quite happily have him idea. there. I, I second put, that. Put, put, put
2: some, I love some... Villa Park.
3: Put some fire under the Villa players. But uh, no, I mean, I've, I know that I speak positively about Brugge, uh, you know, whenever I get the chance on here. Fantastic place to go and watch football. Uh, and they've been putting together a really interesting project these last couple of years. There's some very, very underrated players in that side. I'm a big fan of uh, of Hans van Aken, uh, among others. And, uh, you know, they are just a, a, a joy to watch. And there's some real talent there. You know, Jukla, uh got himself a goal and an assist uh, in the match. And it's, uh, you know, I think... They're really coming along nicely. Uh, Premier League fans will remember Carl Hufkins as well from a short spell with West Brom. Uh, you know, and they just—they—they they seem to be. I mean. You know, back in the day, we kind of associated Anderlecht with being sort of the only real team that was capable of being competitive for, from Belgium. And now it's interesting to see how the tables have turned domestically. But Nigel did actually uh, take the the question that I had for you guys right out of my mouth. So I'll pose it to Ian instead. Diego Simeone, surely Atleti have to do something about this. And surely Simeone himself with someone who has so much love for the club has to feel that it is time to perhaps step aside, you know, just to, to freshen things up because it feels like years now that we've been saying that things have gone stale. It just, they're always playing, rarely getting out of like even third gear. Uh, it, you know, it just feels like the, you know, the fire's gone out. Can I can I just say, like, am I right in saying
1: that they're boring to watch, Nigel? They're just boring to watch. 100%. They're so
2: boring to watch. And I think for me, you've got yahin Felix, one of the best strikers in Europe it's mm-hmm. a hard to watch him play in that team. I feel in other teams, offensively-minded teams, attacking teams, this kid will be on absolute fire. He'll be phenomenal. But he's mm-hmm. being so restricted in this Atletico Madrid side. And it's again, it's all down to the manager and his style. It was great when they were at the highest of heights. But I agree. I think they're so boring and hard to watch. And yep. I feel that it's time for a change. Like, it's become like white noise now, all that message. Yeah, yeah I'm with you. No,
3: you. Go ahead, JJ, before I jump in. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I absolutely agree. But the other thing is that back in the in their prime under Simeone, they weren't necessarily sexy, but it was attractive. It was enjoyable to watch, you know, with the aggro, you know, with the aggression, the way that they're getting people's faces. It's just not even that anymore. And I think when you take the emotion out of it and you don't have, uh, you know, Simeone sort of in, in the process of spontaneously combusting at every single moment on the touchline, it's just not as enjoyable to watch. And it can't be as enjoyable to watch for the, for the fans. And, you know, I think a lot of them are probably feeling pretty nostalgic right now for the time when they really were performing at their best under Simeone, because this, this is a far cry from those days. Yeah. Media center man agrees with
1: Nigel Rio Coker. It's the first time we've had a comment agreeing with Nigel Rio Coker. So thank you to media center man out there for throwing it, but I'm with you guys. I, I just find them frustrating to watch. It's been a while since I've sat and watched 90 minutes that I've really enjoyed when Atletico Madrid have been playing. And I agree with you both. I think Simeone needs a new challenge for himself as well, though, you know, like, at times, a question is team selection. At times, a question, you know, his transfers coming into the club. They look for a lot of free transfers. They don't spend much money anymore. Atleti, they're they're starting to get to that stage now where I think a change would be absolutely different. Atletico don't have the quality in the middle core area of the field. Their build-up play is simply not good, and I think we can all see that. We can all agree with that one there they're frustrating they don't have that real creativity and that desire that passion so having a new man at the helm bringing new ideas maybe rejuvenates a lot of the players who are at the club and as nigel you pointed out jao felix was on the bench today by the way started out yeah. on the bench so very very disappointing before we move on from this game and just touch on porto really quickly I have to say Brugge, six goals already scored in the Champions League this season, all six scored by players who are 23 years old or younger. So they seem to be doing things the right way, Bruges, and I'm really impressed with what they're doing. Uh, let's touch upon the last game of the day in Group B. It was Porto against Leverkusen. Uh, this was a wild game. And, and the referee, <laughs> oh. the, the English referee, oh my, oh my Don't word. Don't blame the English referee.
2: Don't you start that, you Scotsman. Or are, you, are you Scottish or American or German today? I am, you
1: know, I'm always American. I'm born in California. Oh, so let's and you're not by, by the accent. History.
2: They're still learning the rules. How about that?
1: Is it, was it Anthony Taylor, JJ? Or was it, who was it? Was it Anthony Taylor who was in charge of this game? I think it was Anthony
3: Taylor. And he, had uh, a, Yeah, very, very possibly. Let me, uh, let's double I have check. Have a quick
1: look at that one. But they had two goals disallowed for video review. And on the second goal yeah. that was disallowed for video review, it went all the way back to the box when Leverkusen were given a penalty kick. Who then proceeded to miss that penalty kick and then Porto. Yeah, it was it was it was Anthony Taylor. Anthony Taylor. I mean, he had a big impact, and even the commentator in the game was saying that Anthony Taylor wants to play a starring role in. No, this that's game harsh today. on
2: him. I'm sorry, because that's oh, the VAR. That's the VAR wanting to play a starring role. All I'm going to comment on is the beautifully constructed goal by Porto that was ruled off for yep. obviously one of the infringements. But then the actual goal that they did score that stood. What a fantastic goal. Right from the edge of their 16-yard box, the one-touch play, the intricate play, great um counter-attacking football, but with an end product. It was fantastic. I, I just think it was a fantastic goal by Porto. And I'm just so happy because I picked Porto to win. That's
3: why I'm really happy. <laughs> uh, Taremi is such a talent as well. I mean, okay, he had the goal chalked off, but it got two assists for the two Porto goals. You know, very, very underrated player. I'm a, I'm a big fan. But Feels like the end for Ceauane now uh, at Leverkusen after that result. Yeah, big time. And I will say this though, Sanusi with the goal that Nigel was talking about there
4: in
1: the 69th minute, that's his second ever Champions League goal. And then Jaleno came off the bench to make it 2-0 in the 87th minute to wrap things up there. At the top of Group B, Sits Brugge on nine points, or Bruges for everybody out there. And then Porto Bruges. with three points, Leverkusen on three points, and Atletico Madrid, who are bottom of the table right now, also on three points. So it really is now turning into a battle of who gets out the group. Nobody predicted that Bruges were going to win this game, this group, right? So now you've got Porto, Leverkusen, and Atleti. Atleti have got to play Bruges at home, and they have two home games in the final three. JJ, who's the team that
3: joins Bruges in getting out of this group? Uh, That's a really good question. I mean, based on their Champions League pedigree, I'm going to go for Porto Uh, and I think, I'm pretty sure we've already discussed this when we made our early predictions at the beginning of the group stage, I think Atleti will drop out, I don't know if they'll finish bottom of the group but I don't see them getting out of this group unless something major changes and I don't expect it to so I'm going to go for for Porto and also a lot of this depends on who Leverkusen potentially bring in uh, to replace Ceoane I know I've seen rumours that Thomas Tuchel rejected the, the position, understandable given sort of where he's. Been in the game over the last couple of years, but uh, you know Leverkusen is still an attractive project to you know to very talented managers, and I think they're a team that could pretty quickly be turned around uh, depending on who they go for next. Who goes through? I'm with Jonathan. I think Porto. I
2: really do think Porto will go through. Uh, I think the momentum's with them, and I think when you look at again, I'm I'm someone who looks more at the performance, Ian, and the body language. For me, Atlético Madrid players look tired. They look tired. They look bored. And it just looks so laboured and stale. And I think it's going to be a huge ask. You know, obviously, they're going to get a lot of stick in the press in Spain right now from this result. A lot of stick. And it's how they're going to react to that. The fans play a part. They have a very passionate fan base, different team at home at times. But if Bruges can go out there and ride the storm and keep it quiet for 20, 25 minutes, I feel they're going to grow in confidence and have another opportunity to create another upset. And then again, it's do Atletico Madrid have
3: the cahoons to Sac Diego Simeone. Well, speaking of Cojones as well, now losing Jimenez as well—that's a big blow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Uh, brilliant stuff as always, guys. That is match day three of Tuesday slate of Champions League games. Jonathan Johnson, Nigel Rio Coker, you're watching Kegel So I mean, enjoy. We have a big announcement before we go, gentlemen. Match day five of the UEFA Champions League with a backdrop of New York City will be on Pier 2 of Brooklyn Bridge Park Tuesday, October 25th and Wednesday, October 26th for a special viewing party presented by Paramount+. Plus. We will be there. And so your favorite CBS Sports on-air soccer talent, including Kate Abdo, Micah Richards, Thierry Henry, Jamie Carragher, and Peter Schmeichel in live on-site studio show. Great stuff from the Paramount plus Team CBS Sports really going all out on this one here. And uh, we might make an attendance as well. What do you think about that, Jonathan Johnson, getting on an airplane, going on a vacation all the way over to New York City?
3: Oh, hugely exciting! I'm just wondering how much room I'm going to have in my bags when I bring Nigel Rio Coca all of his vintage bottles of cognac and wine that he's been pestering <laughs> me for. It's just cognac. There's no wine in this shipment.
2: It's just cognac. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry, man of no, ma- man of uh, exquisite taste.
1: No, no, I'm going come back to, to New York. York,
2: Ian, my old stomping ground. Back in the day, my younger days, when my international breaks used to get a little time off, used to fly to New York. I was always being the meatpacking district. Don't worry. We were one of the first few generations who came out of going to Spain and Greece and all that. We went I, I, right I, across I, there.
3: I, I, I don't know about you know guys, guys, know. guys, but I don't know about you guys, but I just feel this kegolasso after dark episode just edges closer every time that we have a, an episode. To be honest with you, we're probably pretty close to the, the dark after hours right now with the way we go about this
1: show. So we're not too far away from the red light zone when it comes to this show. However, I will say it'll be great to see you guys in person. I'm looking forward to seeing you in New York as well. I'm just so thankful for what Paramount Plus and CBS Sports are putting together. It's just an awesome crew. The guys who cover the Champions League in general, great chemistry, and it will be awesome to see them in New York with a live in-person show as well. Nigel Rio-Coker is New York City, says Media Center Man. I'm quietly confident attacking Media, meet- Media Center Man... I'll be there. Hey, can you tell Romeo to put the computer down he's not allowed to send in comments to our (laughs) show anymore (laughs) (laughs) gentlemen thank you so much as always for joining us today absolutely fantastic stuff as was the games today it was just brilliant watching match day three of the Champions League and to be able to review all the games with my guys fantastic as well thank you to everybody out there for listening to Kegel So please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favourites podcast platform we're available on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher anywhere else you listen to podcast we're also available unfortunately for nigel on video so subscribe to us on youtube visit youtube.com forward slash kegolatso jj in paris love you man we, nigel rio coker in florida love you man see you in new york soon everybody else out there we'll see you again tomorrow same time same place